Over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the subject of financial management in the book of Proverbs, uh, how this book of wisdom teaches us to handle finances in a wise and God-glorifying way. It becomes very clear as you look through those sections of Proverbs that deal with money that while wealth can be an idol, it can be something that has an inappropriate place in our hearts, Uh, greed certainly is a sin to be avoided, wealth in general is viewed in a relatively positive light throughout the book of Proverbs. We read things like, the hand of the diligent makes rich, and a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Money is seen as a valuable tool in the hands of a wise person, and yet, as we said, there are things that are far more significant than money, things that are more important. There are pursuits that are more worthwhile, traits that are more valuable, and today, We're going to be looking at one of those. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 1 says, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. Today we're talking about your reputation. What Proverbs says about having a good name, or you could say honor. That's another term uh, that comes up quite a bit in the book. This verse that we just read says something that I suspect few of us really functionally believe, uh, that a good reputation is more valuable than great riches, that favor is better than silver or gold. Ask yourself honestly, which would you rather have if the choice was offered to you? On the one hand, great riches, you can be a billionaire tomorrow, or a great reputation. Some of this gets down to the issue that's kind of under the surface of the entire book of Proverbs, a root issue. That being that the goals of your life determine the value that you place on certain things. So if your life is all about your own pleasure, your own enjoyment, then sure, you would choose the riches. But if the goal of your life is living for the glory of God, influencing others spiritually, making disciples of Christ in this world then your reputation becomes far more important. The only way that we can properly value something uh, like having a good reputation is if our aims in life are properly oriented in the first place. Uh, Very similar to Proverbs 22 is what we read in Ecclesiastes 7. This is another one of the wisdom books of the Old Testament uh, associated with Solomon. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 1 says, A good name is better than precious ointments, and the day of death... Than the day of birth. Both of these wisdom books make clear that a good reputation, a good name, is of great value. And it's therefore something we should strive to earn and maintain. Uh, The day of death is the culmination of your reputation. Uh, What will people say about you when you die? What sort of life will you be remembered to have lived? Uh, Look at the next verse there, that same text in Ecclesiastes. Verse 2 says, It is Better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Now, at first, when you read that verse, you might think that seems odd. It's better to go to a funeral than a celebration, is what that verse is saying. But then notice the reasoning. Because this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Meaning, it is a wise practice, Ecclesiastes is telling us, to contemplate our lives and the death that awaits us, to consider what we're living for and how we will be remembered, what the totality of our lives will be. And part of that exercise should include considering what kind of reputation we are building. 
Now, all of us have a reputation. We may not realize the reputation that we have. Often our uh, perception of our own reputation is off a bit. But people either think positively or negatively of you, or maybe more likely a mixture of the two. We might have a good reputation in some areas and a bad reputation in others. But all of us as humans form judgments about each other. We can't help it. Uh, The first time you meet someone, you begin to develop an opinion about them. That's why people say things like first impressions are very lasting. It, It begins that process of evaluating what type of person this is. Then over time, as you get to know people better, your opinions of them become more and more developed. Proverbs 20, verse 11 says, Even a child makes himself known by his acts, by whether his conduct is pure and upright. The idea here is that everyone, old and young, has a reputation. We are all building a reputation every day by the way that we conduct ourselves. And so, Knowing that we have a reputation, that we're being perceived by others in some way, it's worth asking yourself every once in a while, how do others view me? How do others think of me? Now, don't get obsessed with that question. Uh, Don't compromise your principles in an effort to please people. But the wise person should at least be aware of the reputation that they have. You might be inclined as we begin to speak about this subject that we shouldn't really be concerned with how we're perceived, that maybe there's something vain there, uh, that we just shouldn't really think about how others think of us, that such a thought is necessarily unfruitful. But Proverbs encourages us to consider our reputation and at times even to take certain actions for the sake of our good name being preserved. For example, Proverbs 25 verses 9 and 10. Say, argue your case with your neighbor himself, and do not reveal another's secret. So here's an instruction given to the wise, and then notice verse 10, you get the reason. Do this, I'm sorry, don't do this, don't reveal another's secret, lest he who hears you bring shame upon you, and your ill repute have no end. So here we are all instructed to be concerned about having a bad reputation, having ill repute, uh, because having a bad reputation means that you have lost credibility. You've lost influence over others. Uh, Your reputation really is a commodity that will either help you or hurt you in many areas of your life. It is intertwined in much of the aspects of wisdom that we've already considered in the book of Proverbs. Now, in ancient Israel, as in many places of the world today, you think of like Japan or something, there existed what is often today called an honor and shame society. And as the name suggests, it was a society that valued honor and sought to avoid shame. And I don't think we realize just how far uh, America and really all of the West has strayed from that mindset. Today, almost nothing brings shame. In fact, it's seen as a positive trait to be your authentic self Uh, Whatever is there, you're supposed to just let it out. In our culture, even the most sinful or inappropriate or what in the past would have been considered embarrassing behaviors are celebrated. And so while there have been excesses in the honor-shame cultures of the past, we seem to have really swung the pendulum in the opposite direction, where things that used to be done in the shadows are now done openly and celebrated. Nothing today seems to be worthy of of shame. But while our culture doesn't value things like honor, having a good reputation, Christians ought to. 
Uh, Those seeking to be wise should pursue a good name. We ought to be known for certain characteristics that are fitting for wise followers of God to display. And ultimately, that's where we're going to end up this morning, considering how our testimony to the world as followers of Jesus should drive our desire to represent him well and have a good reputation. We're going to look this morning at seven aspects of our reputation that are addressed specifically in Proverbs, and we're going to work through these uh, one at a time. These are the things that sort of make up a good name, according to the book of Proverbs. Uh, Number one on the list is wisdom. Surprise, surprise, right? That Proverbs, the first one would be wisdom. Proverbs 12, verse 8 says, A man is commended according to his good sense, but one of twisted mind is despised. So we should have the reputation of being wise, making wise decisions, wise in our speech, wise in our priorities. You will never have a good reputation if you continually make foolish decisions or behave in foolish ways. Proverbs 3, verse 35 says, The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. Now, it's been a little while since we've talked uh, specifically about the subject of wisdom, and so I want to kind of refresh your mind uh, as to what that refers to. We've been talking about wisdom a lot, but I think we have a natural tendency to just think of wisdom as merely knowledge, as information. So being wise, we often think of as just being smart, Uh, but it is far more than that. Back in June, when we started this series going through the book of Proverbs, we began looking at that Hebrew word chokmah, the word for wisdom. And we saw that throughout Proverbs, it's translated many different ways, and it's often used alongside sort of synonymous or similar related terms that help to flush out the definition of wisdom. Wisdom includes knowledge, but it is also understanding or insight, a deeper level of knowledge where you grasp something at a more foundational level. Wisdom also includes having discernment, uh, the ability to see distinctions, to perceive something complex with clarity. Wisdom is also discretion or prudence. It's analyzing information and learning how to apply it. It's the ability to know what is the best course of action. And then the final level of wisdom is skill or expertise. And we looked at Exodus 35, uh, that story where God gives Bezalel wisdom to craft certain things even out of uh, metal and wood for the construction of the tabernacle. And so wisdom is far more than just reading books or knowing things. You could say it this way, smart people get good grades, wise people live good lives. An example of this kind of wisdom is Joseph in the book of Genesis. If you're familiar with that story, we won't take time to go through all of it. But Joseph became known for his wisdom. He had this great reputation. Uh, Despite having been terribly mistreated by his brothers and eventually even sold as a slave to an Egyptian, Joseph was such a wise servant to Potiphar that he was elevated to a position of basically managing his whole estate. Uh, Genesis 39 verse 4 says that Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. So Joseph had a reputation of wisdom, of handling his responsibilities well, with such skill that he was promoted. Uh, Verse 6 of the same chapter says that Potiphar left all that he had in Joseph's charge. 
And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. In other words, Joseph was such a good servant and so good at managing Potiphar's estate uh, that he took a lot of stress off of his master. He was capable and responsible, so much so that Potiphar grew to trust him over time to manage everything that he had. Now, if you know the story of uh, Joseph, then you know that Potiphar's wife eventually tries to seduce him. He resists her, and then she lies about him, gets him thrown in jail. You can read all that in the end of Genesis. And so Joseph, once again, being mistreated, he's now sitting in jail, and yet he is still conducting himself with such wisdom that the jailer grows to trust him. And Joseph ends up running things from inside the jail. Genesis 39, verse 22 says the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. So Joseph just keeps getting elevated no matter where he's at. And eventually he's freed from prison as Pharaoh has those uh, crazy dreams and Joseph is called to interpret them. Uh, Joseph tells Pharaoh there's going to be seven plentiful years ahead of us and then seven years of intense famine. And so he recommends to Joseph, I'm sorry, to Pharaoh, to choose a wise person who would be capable of managing this whole project and put him in charge of of basically storing up food during those seven fruitful years for the seven years of famine that were coming so they could survive. And look at Pharaoh's response, Genesis 41, verse 39. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. So Joseph really exemplifies everything we're going to see today about having a good reputation. It's clear that Joseph was known for his wisdom and discernment. He had developed a track record of being skillful and capable, making good decisions and handling his responsibilities well. Everything he was in charge of was successful. That was his reputation. In other words, he was known for being wise. And that ought to be our reputation as well. Proverbs tells us to pursue wisdom. If we want favor, if we want honor, if we want a good name in the community, we ought to be known for being people who make wise decisions, who are capable and who have skills, who are able to handle responsibilities well. Proverbs 26, verse 1, Like snow in summer, or rain in harvest, so honor is not fitting for a fool. We will never have a good reputation if we are known for being foolish, being immature, being irresponsible. Honor begins with wisdom. And like Joseph, we should be known as wise people in every area of our lives, in the workplace. We should have this uh, same reputation that Joseph had. If you want something done well, you put him in charge of it. He would make wise decisions. Uh, He would handle those responsibilities well. That's the reputation all of us ought to be desiring. Secondly, righteousness. We'll go faster with the rest of these. A part of having a good name or a good reputation is being known as a righteous person. Proverbs 10, verse 7 says, "The The memory of the righteous is a blessing, but the name of the wicked will rot. Uh, That's pretty straightforward and simple. Uh, Proverbs 11, verse 10, when it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices, 
And when the wicked perish, there are shouts of gladness. Now, can you imagine having such a bad reputation of being such a wicked person that people celebrate your death rather than mourning? One such person we know in Scripture was a man named Herod. Uh, Herod was a man known for his cruelty. And in fact, uh, shortly before his death, Herod ordered uh, several of the noble men of Israel to be arrested and killed on the day of his death because he wanted there to be national mourning in Israel rather than celebration. His order was disregarded, and a festival was established in Israel to celebrate Herod's death. He is a living example of Proverbs 11, verse 10, that when the wicked perish, there are shouts of gladness. Next, emotional stability. Going through these characteristics of a good reputation, uh, third on the list is having emotional stability, being known as someone who is, in other words, in control of your emotions. Proverbs 14, verses 17 and 19 really hits kind of all three of these that we've looked at so far. But notice verse 17. A man of quick temper acts foolishly, and a man of evil devices is hated. The simple inherit folly, but the prudent are crowned with knowledge. The evil bow down before the good, and the wicked at the gates of the righteous. So you see there in verse 19, the last phrase that righteousness brings honor. Verse 18 says that prudence or wisdom brings honor. And then verse 17 says a man of quick temper is said to act foolishly and be hated. So part of having a good reputation is being in control of your emotions, not being given to outbursts of anger or erratic behavior. Number four, Proverbs says another aspect of having a good name or a good reputation is your work ethic. Uh, this is something we've looked at many times uh, in our study of Proverbs. It shows up in a lot of different areas of life, but here's just one to review. Proverbs 10, verse 5. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. So clearly laziness, sleeping when you should be working, is a shameful thing. It's a blot uh, on your reputation. It brings shame if people think of you as a lazy person. Kind of along the same lines, number five is dependability. Part of having a good name is being trustworthy. Someone who can be relied on. You can get things done. If someone gives you a responsibility, they should know that they don't have to worry about it again. You're going to take care of it. Being dependable means being on time, having a reputation for punctuality, uh, doing things well. You're dependent on someone as uh, as someone who won't cut corners or do poor quality work. Proverbs 25, verse 13. Like the cold of snow in the time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him. He refreshes the soul of his masters. This should be the reputation that we are all striving for, to be refreshing to others because of our faithfulness, our trustworthiness, our dependability. Uh, verse 19 of the same chapter gives us the opposite type of person, where it says, Trusting in a treacherous man in time of trouble is like a bad tooth or a foot that slips. Uh, I'm sure we've all had similar experiences like this, where you go to bite down on something, you got a toothache you didn't know about, and all of a sudden, ouch, uh, you realize something's wrong there. Or maybe you take a, a step and your foot slips out from under you. In other words, it's you're trusting in something and it's letting you down. Uh, it ends up hurting you. It's a vivid image for an unreliable person. You trust in them, and they continually let you down until eventually 
You just stop trusting in them. You know they can't be relied upon. That's an aspect of their reputation. And so all of us are either known as being dependable or not. Number six, teachability. Or you could say humility. This is part of a good name that all of us should be striving to have. Proverbs 22, verse 4. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Notice in particular the word honor. That would be similar to what we're talking about, having a good reputation. And one of the aspects of that good name is humility. Uh, Also, chapter 13 of Proverbs, verse 15 and following. Again, several of the characteristics we've looked at are covered here. Verse 15 says, Good sense wins favor, but the way of the treacherous is their ruin. So again, good sense, wisdom is part of having a good name. Verse 16, Every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a fool flaunts his folly. A wicked messenger falls into trouble, but a faithful envoy brings healing. A faithful envoy or messenger is one who is dependable. And then look at verse 18, still kind of filling out this portrait of what it means to have a good reputation. Verse 18 says, poverty and disgrace come to him who ignores instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is honored. So disgrace comes to the one who ignores instruction, those who are unteachable, uh, uncorrectable, Whereas the one who heeds reproof, who listens and receives correction and learns from others, that person is honored. And so part of having a good name means remaining teachable, something we talked at length about in the past. And then number seven, lastly, kindness. Being kind to others is the fast track to a great reputation. If you want others to think, to think well of you in a hurry, be kind. Be known as being a kind person. Proverbs 21, verse 21 says, Whoever pursues righteousness and kindness will find life, righteousness, and honor. Honor comes to those who pursue righteousness and kindness. Also in verse 20, uh, sorry, chapter 22 of Proverbs, verse 11, says, He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king as his friend. Again, the idea here that kindness graciousness leads to a good name, a good reputation. Now, as we look over these characteristics, over this whole list, wisdom, righteousness, emotional stability, work ethic, dependability, teachability, and kindness, try to give yourself a quick grade. Give yourself a little bit of maybe a one through five on each one. How are you doing? And do your best to be objective. What you'll probably find is that you're doing pretty good on some of them and maybe not so good on others. Maybe you're a very teachable and very kind person, but you're not very dependable and you lack a good work ethic. Maybe you're wise and emotionally stable, but you struggle with kindness. As we've endeavored to do throughout this series in Proverbs, take a minute to highlight whichever one you need the most work on. Whatever area in your life is damaging your reputation and decide today to take action to improve in that area. Now, let's give two quick clarifications on this issue of having a good name or a good reputation. Uh, A couple of things that some of you astute Bible scholars in the room might be thinking. Didn't Jesus say in the Gospels, woe to you when all men speak well of you? Uh, Didn't Jesus say that the world hated him and so they will likewise hate those who follow him? He warned us about coming persecution, about 
uh, loving our enemies, which implies we might have some enemies. And so how does all of this fit together with having a good reputation? Well, Proverbs acknowledges this reality as well, that even though you might have a good reputation, you may still at times have enemies, people who hate you without good reason. Jesus himself, of course, even had such enemies. And so as we're thinking about having a good reputation, this doesn't mean that everyone is going to like you all the time. But who your enemies are is a good indicator of what kind of reputation you have. For example, we read in Proverbs 29, verse 10, bloodthirsty men hate the one who is blameless and seek the life of the upright. Again, this is precisely the case with Jesus, as we know from the Gospels. He was blameless and upright. He had a good reputation in many ways. He was known for uh, his wise teachings, for his acts of service to poor and hurting people, healing the sick. Uh, This is what Jesus was famous for. And yet he had enemies who sought his life. The same is true of the Apostle Paul. When we went through our series in the book of Acts, we saw him traveling around Asia, planting churches regularly along the way, being persecuted for his efforts. Perhaps no one in Scripture illustrates this more clearly than Daniel in the Old Testament, though. Daniel was known for having a great reputation. He was known for his wisdom, for his uprightness, and yet Daniel also had his enemies. Yet Daniel's reputation was so great, even in the eyes of those who despised him, that the only way they could get Daniel in trouble was to make prayer illegal. Imagine having that good of a reputation, that your enemies know that even if they watch you closely, they'll never find you doing wrong. And so instead, they make the doing of right illegal. And so you get the point. Having a good reputation doesn't mean that you have no enemies. You may be hated by the wicked if you are uh, upright and blameless. Uh, This idea is reiterated, by the way, in Proverbs 29, verse 27, which says, an unjust man is an abomination to the righteous, but one whose way is straight is an abomination to the wicked. One more point of clarity that is needed here. Uh, When we talk about this issue of having a good reputation, it's a good and noble thing to pursue a good name. Uh, to want to be well thought of by others. But don't become a self-promoter. Don't be the one who builds themselves up and tries to persuade everyone around them of your own positive qualities. Earn a good name by your actions, not by your words. Proverbs 27, verse 2. Let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. We shouldn't be the kinds of people that are building ourselves up in the eyes of others or looking for a shortcut to a good reputation. Proverbs teaches us to walk in wisdom, be upright in your character, be emotionally stable, have a good work ethic, prove yourself to be dependable, remain humble and teachable, and be kind to everyone. Take those steps in your life and you will end up earning a good name over time. If you grew up in the church as I did, you're likely familiar with the concept of maintaining your testimony, which sounds like an odd use of that word. Uh, That word testimony, we usually think of like a courtroom setting, and a testimony typically means either an eyewitness account of something that happened, or it's evidence used to prove that something took place. So you might say, for example, in a murder trial, 
Well, this DNA match is testimony to the fact that the suspect was present at the time of the murder. Or you might say that someone saw it take place, and so they're going to take the stand now and testify. They're going to provide a testimony to what they saw. Uh, that's how the word testimony is used outside of church. But in church, it's often used to refer to your reputation. And again, that might seem really odd, like totally disconnected from uh, what the word testimony actually means. But if you think about it for a while, it actually makes a lot of sense. The idea is that Christians, as Christians, our lives are a testimony to the truth of the gospel. We are the evidence that Christ really did rise from the dead and that faith in Jesus really does transform sinners. Our reputation should be such that it convinces those who don't know Christ that there's truth to what we say and what we believe. In that sense, the way that we live and our reputation is a testimony to Christ. This is what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and following. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and, and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. In other words, Paul is saying the darker the world around us gets, the more brightly a godly testimony shines. It is by being blameless and innocent, having a good reputation, that others can see the truth of the gospel at work in us. They can see that God is working in our lives as we are being transformed by his power. And this is why your reputation is a testimony. It's a testimony to the truth of what you believe. 1 Peter 2, verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, again, we all may at times have those enemies, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. We as the church should be concerned to maintain a good reputation in the community in which we live because our lives either adds credibility to our message or it causes our message to be rejected and even mocked. Paul writes in, uh, to Titus in chapter 2 of his letter, As for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. Notice the reason that the word of God may not be reviled. They are to do this so that the word of God not be blasphemed or spoken against. Likewise, verse 6, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. In your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. So that, and here's the reason again, an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. You see in Paul's words here the clear motivation that there would be no blot on the testimony of the church in the world. 
that those uh, who are outside of the church would have nothing evil to say about us. Uh, verse 9, continuing, bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, again, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Does your reputation adorn the doctrine of God? Does the gospel look more compelling to people who know you well because they see it at work in your own life? You can see that Paul is very concerned that Christians maintain a good reputation in the world around us. And this goes for everyone. This isn't just for the pastor Titus, but it's also for the older men in the church, the older women, the younger men, the younger women. That kind of includes everybody. (laughs) All of us are given instructions about how we are to live as honorable Christians in the world so that the name of Christ may not be blasphemed, so that no one has anything evil to say about us, so that in everything we may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. One of the most compelling witnesses to the truth of the gospel is the testimony of a transformed life. I've shared with you before how my own father came to Christ Uh, entirely because of the testimony of his aunt and uncle. His uncle Ralph and Aunt Betty were faithful church members who loved Jesus and loved each other, and their reputation is what God used to convince my own father as a young man to leave his worldly lifestyle and become a follower of Christ. Now here's the question for all of us to consider. Is our reputation a shining light in a dark world, or is our reputation a blot? On the name of Christ? Are we the kinds of Christians who compel others to want to follow Jesus, or are we the kind that push others away? One of the most common critiques of the church today is that it's full of hypocrites, and unfortunately, there's often a lot of truth to that claim. May it not be so here. This is one reason, by the way, that we practice things like church discipline when a member is sinning in some public way. We ought to hold each other accountable for our own sake, yes, but also for our public testimony to the world, because it matters how we are displaying Christ in our communities. Uh, One more text before we close, 1 Peter 3, verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So here Peter's giving instructions to a very difficult situation. A husband and wife where the wife comes to Christ and the husband is unsaved. How do you deal with that? And Peter says, submit to your husbands. Be pure. Be respectful in your conduct. Have such a good testimony that even the one closest to you, your own spouse, would be won to Christ by your reputation of godliness. Even to those who know us best and are closest to us, Our reputation of godliness should be a powerful testimony to the truth of the gospel. Every day we interact with people who may never darken the doors of a church. They may never open a Bible and read it. They may never hear a sermon or a presentation of the gospel. But they know you, and they know me. You may be the only Bible that your co-workers ever read. You may be the only glimpse of Christ that your family ever sees. Your life may be the only sermon that your neighbors ever hear. And so how are you doing at representing Christ? That's the question all of us ought to be asking. Let's pray together.